0: Often, what may appear to be a simple song can have much deeper meaning the more you examine the context in which and for which it was written. Such is the case for God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. In the 15th century, when the song was originally penned, most songs and hymns were written in Latin, and were often somber, dark accounts of theology, reflecting the difficult times in which people lived. In fact, Songs of joy and happiness were frowned upon in the church. To overcome this, common people began to write and sing more joyful songs on their own in old London town. Before long, God rest ye merry gentlemen and songs like it were being sung throughout the streets of London, and even Charles Dickens included it in his classic work, A Christmas Carol. Add to that a shift in language and meaning. When the song was written, the words merry and rest had different nuances. Merry had the connotation of strength, and the word rest was a little more like keep. So, God rest ye merry gentlemen, was a blessing and indicated that God would keep you strong and happy. In that light, it sounds a little like Aaron's blessing from the Old Testament. May God bless you and keep you, and make his face To shine upon you. In any case, this song is one of the most iconic Christmas carols ever written and has been a classic for over five centuries, reminding us Jesus Christ, our Savior, was born on Christmas Day, and we have his tidings of comfort and joy.
1: Well, good morning, Heritage Family doing good. Just want to welcome all of our family here at Rock Island. Those at Bettendorf across the river are glad that you are here. If you're joining us online, thanks for journeying with us and to my brothers at Kiwani. We love you. We see you. We're thankful to be journeying with you. Continue to be thankful for your praying for us and walking with us as we can pray and walk with you. So glad to be here with you today to open up the word and to celebrate with you in this kind of in-between weekend that we have here. Just want to continue to celebrate some of the great things that have been going on at Heritage Church, one that we already kind of mentioned a little bit earlier in service, but that we had over 4,300 people attend our Christmas Eve services across the network, which is, which is great. It's a fun number. Yeah, it's awesome. <clears throat> It's a phenomenal number and we're thankful for all of those who have connected with and engaged in that way. But I want to highlight just something else connected along with that number, is that there were hundreds of volunteers who gave not just a little bit but a ton of time to allow those different services and those expressions to happen in the ways that they did. People who watched over and cared for children, who mentored youth, uh, those who served in here in the body and the buildings, physical locations, and those who served outside of the building as well. So I just want to make sure that we thank those volunteers as well. So let's give them a big hand and say thanks. Because they give not only on a Christmas Eve, but each and every weekend, week in and week out. So I'm so thankful for those that help make these types of services and gatherings possible. And uh, that's just so that we can help people connect with God and others and their purpose. And just wanna celebrate that over the entire year from January one until now, we've had 162 people who have stepped into saving relationship and faith with Jesus Christ. So that is the best thing that we can celebrate. Well, reflection is good. We always love a good kind of year in review. We look back on the good, the bad, and the ugly. And reflection, it's a really helpful skill for all of us, right? We look back at things and we decide, wow, we should do it that way or we should never do it that way again uh, just it or leave it the same. So what I want us to do is just to take a minute and kind of do a little of our own reflection as we begin our time together today. So in your note guide, if you take that out on uh, the very top there, there's a a quick way to kind of do your own year end reflection. I'm just calling it your favorite three and I put them into three categories to help you along in your own reflection journey. And I'm just going to give you my favorite three as an example, as a way to start. So first box there is in things. And uh, this is my first favorite thing. It's just uh, it's a running shoe. This is a Nike Epic React running shoe. All right, I'm a runner. And some of you think I'm crazy for that already and the fact that a shoe is something that I'm excited about is weird enough as it is. But as a runner, uh, to find the right running shoe is kind of a big deal, right? And uh, how you run, the way that you run, the type of running that you do, it's a big deal to find the right running shoe. And so I found these shoes earlier this year and uh, they've been really helpful for me and I've even bought a couple different pairs uh, to match these and go along with it just because I think those are the best for me. Uh, Next, in media, this can be something that's like a song or a TV show, a book, uh, something that you kind of consume. And for me, it was this, The Rise of Skywalker, Star Wars, okay? And uh, some of you are totally with me. You're like, yes, best movie ever, loved it. Others, you're like, it was the worst movie ever, didn't like it. And some of you could go, I could care less about Star Wars as a whole. Um, So no matter where you fall on that spectrum, for me, I thought it was a great movie, it tied everything together well, and Star Wars as a whole, that very first movie, adjusted cinema as we know it, and so to wrap it up in this final year, um, I thought it was something that was amazing, and I thought they did a really great job with it. And finally, in memories, that memories box, this can be kind of a, a happy or a sad memory. And uh, usually it's a personal type of thing that would be a favorite. And we all will have lots of things to put in, these, in this box for sure. And so it's tough to always pick just one. But for me, this is my favorite memory this year. This was when we brought our little girl home from Haiti to be in her home, in her room, in her bed with her forever family for the first time. And it was a beautiful, just heartwarming moment. Everybody was excited. Uh, You can see little Lennox next to her, smiling and looking at her. And uh, she was smiling and having a great time. I'm not sure if she was sure exactly all of what was happening at that moment in time, but she was happy. And uh, it's been a great couple of months just having our family continue to bond and continue to come together. So I'd encourage you to do this with your own family, friends, loved ones. <clears throat> you can do this you know, after service today at brunch or at lunch. Um, but just wanted to give you just a little bit of guidance to be able to celebrate the silly things like your favorite pair of running shoes, the thing that you like, uh, all the way to the life-changing moments, such like bringing a child home. Well, we find ourselves, as I said, in kind of a middle weekend. Christmas is over and the new year hasn't begun, so we're kind of sitting in the middle. What do we do? Christmas tends to start this reflection journey for many of us. After too much or too little food, presents, time off, we start to kind of look back as well as looking forward towards the new year. And the new year kind of creates this like anticipation, this this nervous energy. And as much as Advent has been a beautiful journey for us, as we finish it up next week here as a church with epiphany, Advent reminds us of the, the peace, the hope, the joy, the love, and the light that Christ brings to us as we remember him and then look forward to Christ's return. But we today in America can focus a lot on that new year as a time that we get to kind of start over, like there's this magical reset button that we get to hit that kind of erases all of the stuff from last year. Only the bad things, not the good, but just the bad stuff, right? We say phrases like, man, I can't wait for this year to be over if your year wasn't all that great. Or you can say, I'm looking forward to the new year. And then we can start thinking about New Year's Resolutions, goals that we want to hit, traditions that we'd like to start. But did you know that most of the data indicates that over 80% of resolutions fail by February? It's pretty rough. So I would suggest that there's something missing in our process. And I would like for us to take a moment of our own to reflect together on the scripture and see how Holy Spirit wants to speak to us about this upcoming year. And we're going to start in uh, what people might think is kind of an unlikely place for this conversation. We're going to take a look at the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, it's a a book in the Old Testament, and if you're uh, kind of analog Bible user and have pages, you can kind of open to the middle of the Bible and you'll hit Psalms, most likely. And then turn to the right a little bit more, you'll hit Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes is right after that. And now, on the onset, Ecclesiastes uh, doesn't read like the most cheerful of books. This is what it says right here in the beginning. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless pretty pretty happy and uh he continues and just in case he didn't cover it with everything he continues in saying that wisdom is meaningless i devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven what a heavy burden god has laid on men i see all the things that are done under the sun and all of them are meaningless a chasing after the wind He continues in saying that having wisdom is meaningless, being foolish is meaningless, pleasures are meaningless. And he keeps saying that toil, work, even the act of accumulating is meaningless. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, and nothing was gained under the sun. Well, thanks, Steve, for this uplifting message today. <laughs> you kind of set us up there. We had this great moment of reflecting back on our favorite three things of the year, and then you go here to everything is meaningless, kind of like some post-Christmas Grinch, which is fair, I get that, I can, I can take that. So allow me just to give you some context for this cheerful little book of Ecclesiastes, okay? Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature. There are different types of literature and styles within the Bible. And if we read it all the same, we can kind of miss uh, what we're actually needing to read out of it. And so this is a wisdom literature book. It's commonly grouped with, with Proverbs and Job. And it really considers the complexity and the simplicity of living wisely or as one with wisdom. So there is a complexity that comes with understanding how the world works and how that comes together. But there's also a simplicity that comes along with that as well. And there's a mash between those two. And so how do we live in the world as wise people? And now Ecclesiastes is admittedly the darkest of the the three wisdom books and deals with kind of these three unsettling or disturbing themes. And these are the themes that we tend to kind of keep us up at night. If you wake up in the middle of the night and start kind of thinking and ruminating on stuff, these are some of those themes that that pop up. First is that time moves on. And that you and I will eventually be forgotten. No matter what we have done or what we accomplished, no matter how good or bad we have been, time moves on. Next is that we are all going to die. You can be good, you can be bad, you can be great, you can be terrible, but no matter what, death comes for us all. And the last theme is that life is a bit random. Good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people, and sometimes the vice versa. Sometimes good things happen to bad people, and sometimes bad things happen to good people. And there's no real rhyme or reason at times. We love to think that we can figure out how to make those things all work, but it seems like life just kind of Happens sometimes and if we're honest these types of themes and questions kind of roll around a lot more in our brain during this time of year as we tend to look back and reflect over the things that we've done or the things that we wish we would have done another year has ticked by but the whole point of this book is to direct us to a brighter message than these three dark themes The author, who we're not exactly sure who it is, some say it's Solomon, some say it's others, wants us really to kind of sit in the dark so that we can really see the light. And the last thing about the context of Ecclesiastes is that it's many times misread as a theology book or a book about God. And while God is part of the discussion, he's mentioned throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, he's not the main point. The book is an ideology, meaning it deals with ideas and the study of thought so that we can come out stronger and wiser in the end. Okay, so now we have this context, right? We understand a lens of how to read the book of Ecclesiastes. And I'd really encourage you at some point to read the entire book. It's not very long uh, with that lens and out of our discussion here today. Now, I understand it's not a top 10 on the feel-good devotional guides, but it's full of, as one writer puts it, a bunch of really good conversation starters, things to wrestle with. So let's jump into the passage with this lens on. This is in chapter 3. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. a time for war, and a time for peace. Now, before we go any further in the passage, I would like to, again, help us grasp what we are reading together. Now, this portion that we just read of Ecclesiastes is, is likely the portion that most of you have quoted or know. It's the one that's said most of the time. It's, it's where we get the idea that there is a season for everything. It finds its roots And yet, for many of us, we read all of these with no real question. We'd say, yep, yeah, that's right. There's a time for that, there's a time for that, a time to throw away. Hey, see, honey, we should get rid of that old couch, right? But there are a few in there that make you stop and pause for a second. You say, refrain from embracing. Why would you want to do that? There's a time to kill to hate, for war. I thought God was this God of love and forgiveness. So are we supposed to have our our own times of, of killing, of hating, of being at war? So I just want to help us remember that this is not a theology. It's an ideology. What the author is doing here is he is observing the world Around him, he is stating that the world is this way. As he looks around, he sees that there are seasons of life and death, of planting and harvest. He sees times where people have been silent, and there are times when people have spoken up. He has seen the world love as well as hate, live in times of war and of peace. He's being descriptive of the world around him. He's not being directive that there are seasons in your own life where you need to be quiet or you need to speak or a season to love or to hate. There are just the realities that the world is broken, that it's fractured, that it's not all that it was cracked up to be. And just because we know that God is present doesn't mean that the world is going to be amazing and happy all the time. And if we're honest, we all see this every day. Now, the other thing we have to understand is that this book was originally written in Hebrew. It was the culture to what it was written to and was originally read in. And the Hebrews viewed time a lot differently than you and I view time. Now we view time in a quantitative way, a calendar-like, very linear fashion of time. And if I asked you what time it is, what would you do? You would likely pull out your phone or you would look at your watch and you would tell me that the time is 9.34 a.m. Now the Hebrews, they viewed time as not quantitative, but as qualitative, Events and persons were not arranged by a set time as much on a clock, but according to the impact of their occurrence to others. And I know that's kind of like, what's exactly he's saying here? We can understand this if we look at major moments in our lives and how those impact us. We can say phrases like, this is my baby's first Christmas. You're not saying, and didn't say, this is Christmas 2019, on December 25th, it relates the event according to the impact of other events. Now, this will help you see in other places the Old Testament when it reads, in the year such and such, this person died and this thing happened. They didn't tell you in the year of 1450 or whatever the year would be. They relate it to the other events that happen in time. So they viewed events in connection to other events. And this view of time can really kind of help us as we look towards this new year, as well as understand Ecclesiastes a little bit better. So let's continue in the passage. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And so we see that word of time again. And see, everything doesn't get beautiful because time goes on, which is how we would tend to read it. Everything is beautiful because of how it connects to everything around it. It's kind of like saying Christmas is a great day. But December 25th, as a date, isn't special any more than March 3rd is special. Those are just dates. However, the pieces that lead up to Christmas Day, what happens during the day, make December 25th a special day. The family, the presents, the day off of work, and, of course, the central fact that it's connected to the birth of Jesus makes it special, makes it beautiful. And that next sentence is, part of a really kind of mind-shattering idea that he has set eternity in the human heart and yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end in this understanding of time being about relationship connection to other events God has put eternity in our hearts and eternity is not about being in this this timeless space that has no end as we understand it but rather this overwhelmingly huge capacity to hold events and people and memory we have memories galore of our family of our friends of the things that we have done in life and places that mean so much to us and they define how we view the world and how we live in it and yet we cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end The capacity of events and people that our infinite God would have and hold, to think about that would shatter us. Think about when you're at a a birthday party for someone who's a little more mature in life, when you try and celebrate all of the things that they have done and they have accomplished and you have a two-minute speech of time to say all of what they have done in this whole entire lifetime where you come to a funeral and try and celebrate a life so well lived in a matter of moments. It is near impossible to do, and that's for one life. And think about God understanding and knowing and holding the lives of all of us, and that is where we cannot fully fathom what God has done from beginning to the end. So let's continue. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. And God does it so people will fear Him. Now finally, we get to kind of turn the corner in the author's thoughts. We've gone from everything is meaningless, this passing thing, to not being able to deal with the vastness and the grandness and the connection of God and everything that he is related to. To be happy and do good while you live. Reminding us with that theme that death comes for us all. And that that is the gift of God. There was a musician that I grew up always listening to, and I think he was right, and he said this a lot in his music, that we should eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And again, before you think I'm getting super fatalistic and down on you, that there's nothing that matters, and there's nothing that you can do, remember that we're just wrestling with ideas, and this is one of those main themes. We've talked about the passage of time, how it just continues, and that death eventually comes for us all. But here is the beauty that the author wants us to start seeing. That if time is driven less by by ticks on the watch and more by the weightiness and the connections of the people around us, then we can find some satisfaction, joy in the here and now, and not worry as much about the days that keep ticking by. That there is a a sustainability, an eternalness to what God is doing, that we cannot add or subtract from it. That the world, that the the word forever here is the same as eternity earlier in that passage. It's so big what God is doing that to think that we can mess it up or do something to add or subtract from it is a pretty self centered idea. And God does all of this, allows us to, to see and to live in this space here and now so that we will fear him. And not, not cower in fear like he's going to smite us and hit us and break us, but to be in such awe of him because of the grandness and the eternity and the bigness that he is. And that it would shatter us just to get a glimpse of it. So how does this really start to like impact my life is the question. How does this really play out these ideas that, that everything is meaningless, that time's connected to my relationships and people more than anything and that nothing I can do can necessarily impact God. what God's grand plan is for this world. Why have this conversation here and now when we're ready to change into the new year? Well, many of you have seen this uh, The rocks and sand analogy. You have a a jar and then somebody gives you rocks and sand and little pebbles and you have to fit everything into this empty jar. And you can fill the jar kind of in whichever order you like, but some people start with the sand, then do the smaller rocks and put the bigger rocks and then it doesn't end up fitting, nothing works. You have to put the big rocks in first, then the small pebbles, and then the sand, and you pour it around and it all fills and fits into the cracks. And then it all fits within the jar. Now this is used over and over as a, a priority conversation, right? You have to get your big rocks in place, the main things in your life, and get those done and taken care of, your smaller, less important things in life, but still weighty and have, have, have value. And then you fill it with all of the little filler stuff, the, the sand. But here's the trick, and here's the deal, is that, as Ecclesiastes says, it's all meaningless. The world would say, look at the rocks. And don't just look at the rocks, get the best rocks that you can if you have good rocks, find better rocks. If you have a good job, look for a better one. If you are in a space that you are working okay, you look for what is the next thing. And the pebbles, you can if you can make them the brightest, the nicest, the shiniest, that's the best way to go about life. Maybe it's more about like your kids and helping them find the best opportunities that they need to have so that they can either make you look good or they can look good maybe it's for you about making sure your lawn looks good or your house looks great so that the people around you value and see what you value and the sand maybe it's find the best sand that you can the most fine sand the most sifted so that it fills the most cracks so that it looks the best and for what so that you can have the best looking jar so that you can add what exactly to the world remember ecclesiastes says there's nothing that we can add and nothing that we can take away from what god does meaningless you can work hard, you can have the best job, you can gain knowledge, you can wisdom, have wisdom, you can perform to the best of your ability, and it's all still just meaningless. It's a vapor, it's a breath in the light of the eternal God who lives in eternity. And this is the point that the author is making. If we all had a jar of our lives and we lined them all up on the stage of all of our lives here, just in this room, one, it would be a lot of jars, And there would be some with some bigger rocks and some with some smaller rocks and some with more little pebbles and some with more sand, some with less sand. And we might be able to look at the jar next to us and compare and contrast what one is better or not. But the more you move back away from the individual jar, they all start to look the exact same. Now this isn't meant to depress you. It's just to put everything in perspective. It's to really meant to encourage you. But Ecclesiastes, the author is saying is to look at the jar. Look at what God has given you right here and right now. Yes, God has created all of this for us to use. Yes, the rocks, the pebbles, the sand, all of it. But if we start in the wrong place, that it's our stuff that we have to figure out what to do so that we can have the best looking jar and the best life possible out there for us, then we have missed the point. We were trying to add to what God has done and wants us to do. And some of us might be a little more familiar with the Bible and go, okay, well, Steve, you you said that this is wisdom literature, right? We can wrestle, we can think about these thoughts and the ideas, but at the end of the day, how much stock do we really put into it? Is it really all just meaningless at the end? Eat, drink, and work because we will soon die anyway. I say, okay, fine, you have to take my word for it, but let's look at the words of Jesus and take his words. He says, don't store up treasures on earth. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or what you will wear. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and therefore do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow has enough and will worry about itself. Another point in time, Jesus is walking with his disciples, walks by a vineyard with grapes and he picks up a vine and he says, look at this vine. See how it connects to the branches and see what its purpose is, is to stay connected to the vine and to make fruit. So you, you disciples, you should do the same with me. This is how he says it exactly. He says, remain in my love I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And this is my command to love each other. And this is so, so huge. He encourages us to remain, not to worry, not to get too ahead of ourselves. To rest in God so that we can have joy. So that his joy can be in you and our joy can be complete. We can get lost in thinking that our joy comes from from getting it all together to having the right rocks and the right order and doing it all the right way. But Jesus says, just let that all go and your joy will be complete when you obey my command to love each other. And so I would challenge you to reflect on the idea of a new year's resolution. And that, instead of a resolution, choose to remain. Choose to remain. Now, you'll see two jars on your note guide at the bottom there. One has lines and one is empty. Now, again, it's not bad to, to work on stuff. It's not bad to have a job or to save money. It just has to be in the right perspective. So I encourage you to write in the jar with lines the things that you might want to do in this coming year, those resolutions. But always look at the empty jar. Remember what God has given to you right here and right now and to remain in Him first and foremost. So remain in God's love in this coming year. And when you feel pushed to strive or to succeed or to make a name for yourself, to get more rocks or better rocks for your jar, to have better sand, ask this simple question. Is this allowing me to remain in a closer walk with Jesus? It's a simple question, but it has huge implications. And I would add this phrase to it as well. That's not going to come on screen, but you'll, you'll want to write it down. Is this allowing me to remain in a closer walk with Jesus and to love others well? We like to make it complicated with what ifs and what abouts and I get this advice from this person and that. But at the end of the day, Ecclesiastes reminds us that it's all meaningless. So do that which allows you to remain closely connected to Jesus. Allow your joy to be complete as you love each other in this day and the next day and the day after that. Let's pray together. Father, I know that these can be challenging words for us. Those questions that can kind of keep us up each and every night. What am I here for? What have I been doing? (laughs) Why? Time seems to kind of tick by and keep moving and I don't know what to do necessarily about that so I'm thankful God that you give us a book like Ecclesiastes to to give us words and language to wrestle with sometimes the feeling like the meaninglessness of life but that you don't leave us there that you give us hope and joy and you point us towards the fact of that we can find meaning and connection with you as we remain in your love, as we remain connected to you, that we will end up producing and being what we are called to be. That we don't have to strive and push and reach to be and do something more than we are, but that we can remain in you, remain in your love and love those around us deeply, following your command to love you and to love others. And so, Father, I pray that as we step into this new year, that you continue to help us reflect well and look forward well, but also remain present in where we are in deep and meaningful ways for your name and for your glory. I pray this in your name. Amen.